Christ chosen for me. Let's come to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Lord, we give you the honor and the glory that's due your name. I ask, Lord God, that you would reveal your choice among us today, that you engrave in our heart and in our mind, knowing that we have been chosen for a particular purpose and not that we have been selected to be in heaven, but there is a process that you take us through. And Lord, I'd rather be in that process than be in the destination. So help us today, Lord, to think and to understand what that means when you are choosing or when you have chosen us so that we can be effective ministers of your gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Christ chosen for me, Ephesians 1.4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. God's choosing us for a particular purpose, but God has chosen you and I in Christ. Now, when I make this general statement, God has chosen you and I, I'm making a general statement. Only you can answer the question whether or not, or maybe you can answer the question whether or not God has chosen you in particular. But I'm speaking in general, when God has chosen you, he has chosen you for a particular purpose and for a particular reason, not just so that he said, you are chosen to live forever. That's part of it. But that's not the reason why God has chosen you. That's what I want to talk to you about today. There are two parts to this choosing. The verse that we just read, according as he has chosen us in him. So the choosing of you is choosing you to be in someone, not choosing you to be in nowhere, but choosing you to be in him. And him here is the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has chosen you to be in Jesus Christ for a particular purpose. There is a purpose for God's choosing you. Think about a sport team. When you are chosen, let's say at the draft pick, that's when they choose which player to be in which team. After the player has been chosen, they are happy. They go out and they celebrate. They have parties and then what? And then they work and then they practice and they do a lot of practice. You work, you work hard when you're chosen, especially when you're chosen. So I want to make sure to break this mindset of, oh, God has chosen me, now I just cruise. No, God has chosen me in Christ. Christ worked until he gave his life on the cross. He didn't just cruise into heaven. God's choosing Christ and therefore choosing you in Christ is called predestination. And what does that mean to you? To understand why and how or what purpose God chosen you or God will choose you, you have to understand that Christ himself was chosen by God. Why? Christ was chosen by God for three reasons. Number one is to show God's glory. Number two is to give life. And number three, so that he can be the gospel. When you talk about gospel or the good news, you need to talk about the subject of that good news, and that is Jesus Christ. So God has chosen Christ to be that good news to be talked about. So to show God's glory, why was Christ chosen? John chapter 17 verse 5 says this, And now, O Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world began. Jesus Christ was chosen by God. You have chosen me 
therefore glorify me with you. This is important that you understand this concept. The only person that God will share his glory with is Jesus Christ. God will not share his glory with anyone. The reason is God is holy and we are sinner. And sinner cannot come to God. But you say, because you're smart, what about Moses? Didn't God share his glory with Moses? Yes, he did, but in a different way. When Moses asked God, show me your glory, he was hiding behind the rock. God passed before him in the rock and he saw what? The back of God. He did not saw his glory. What is God's glory? When the Bible talks about God's glory, what is it referring to? God's face. That is glory. Someone's face is their glory. So Moses did not see God's glory. He saw a glimpse of God's supposed glory. And that made him what? Glorious. He saw a glimpse of God's glory and it made Moses glorious to the point when he came down from the mountain, people were like, whoa, too bright, too bright. Give me a, a veil to put over Moses. Imagine you know, Moses' whole life walking around with a veil in front of him. But the glory of God transforms us. It makes us glow. Heard of Chernobyl? The reactor that exploded? Radioactive decays, I don't know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's been over 40, 50 years now, and it's still there. The exclusion zone, no one can get in there. The reason why is the radiation is still there. Radiant radiation. God's glory is radiating through Moses, which caused him to glow. Or the Lord's Prayer here, Jesus Christ, what he's asking God the Father for is different than what God gave Moses. What Jesus is asking the Father for is this embodiment of glory. The totality of this glory, the essence of this glory to be in him. Give me this glory, the same glory that I had when I was with you. Different than the glory that is emanating from God. He's asking for the source of this glory. And what he's saying is that he wants this glory to be in himself because when Moses gets to people, what happened to the people around Moses? It's too much for him. The problem is when we face the light, it's too much for us. But when the light is inside of us, then we can use the light. So Jesus Christ is asking the Father for the source of this light so that he can shine it in us. We cannot get the light from the outside in, but we need to get from the light from the inside out. That is what Jesus Christ is asking. Jesus Christ is asking to have this light. And what is this light? This light, this glory, is the knowledge of God. That is what the light is. The light, any light that you see, any radiation that you see is supposed to expose you to what is otherwise cannot be seen. In this room, if you turn off the light, you can't see anybody. What does light do? When you turn on the light, you can see and therefore understand what is around you. So light comes so that you can understand. The glory of God shown inside of you so that you can understand. You can have the knowledge of God. And this is the act of God in his trinity. This is how the trinity works. God is glory. You need to have God because he's the source of life and knowledge is life, but you cannot come to God. So how can God come to you? He takes this person and he allows his glory to be in this person and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The reason why God's glory can be in Christ is because Christ is sinless. None of us is like Jesus Christ. We all have been born in sin, conceived in sin, and God took his glory and put in this sinless body. So now we can see Jesus Christ if he is here. We can see him, we can touch him. So God communicated his glory, his divine glory, in the person of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is not here. So God has to use what? His Holy Spirit. So God is glory communicated through Jesus Christ and he uses the Holy Spirit to reveal that in each of us. That's how the Trinitarian act happens in us. That is why the Trinity is important because all God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are God in the Trinity. Second reason, he gave life. Christ was chosen to give life. Christ was not chosen so that he can turn around and say, hey, God chose me, he didn't choose any of you, haha. That's not the purpose. But somehow the church has made that its purpose. God chosen us, he didn't choose you guys, so you're all damned. But that's not the purpose of God. It never was. God chosen Christ to give life. That is the purpose of God's choosing. John 10.10, I come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. So when God chose Christ, he chose Christ so that you and I, we can inherit this life. It was Jesus Christ, the life-giving force of God incarnate in a person. That person then communicates that life to you and I today. So we can see the person, historical Jesus, and say God has given him life. He, through that person, Jesus Christ, gives us life. And how does he give life? He gives life by having victory over death. If Jesus Christ skipped death and goes into eternal life, okay, just imagine, play that thought experiment. If Jesus Christ did not die and he went to heaven without dying, you know what the problem is? You know what the philosophical question is? If that happens, what about death? Death is still there. He never touched death. Death could kill him. It is very important that life has to meet death. If life does not meet death, then how do you know who's going to win? So if he is the prince of life and he is the prince of death, and they never meet each other, and he just skip over because he has this special pass from God, and then he just go on. And you would say, well, well, that's all good for Jesus, but I'm going to die. I'm going to meet death. Then what's going to happen to me? Jesus didn't die. Well, yeah, that's really good, but what about me? He never met death. Thankfully, Jesus Christ met death. He actually died. He died. He was really dead, thoroughly, on the cross. And they came and they're supposed to break his leg, just like any other people, because they need to take him down from the cross. And the soldier says, what? Oh, he's dead. So they poke to his side and water and blood flow out, confirm that he was really dead. And not only that, to make sure that he was really dead, what did they do? They put him in the tomb. For three days, he was really, really dead. And then what happened? On the third day, he rose again. Death has no power on Jesus Christ. So that you and I today, we can say, we will meet death, but then it will not conquer us. We will not be triumphed because Jesus Christ has victory over death. Unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and die, it remains by itself. But because the seed, Jesus Christ, died, we now say, I will die, but you know what? My God, my Jesus, resurrected, 
so I will be resurrected. Death has no power over him. That's why Jesus died. The third reason for God to choose Christ is so that he can be the good news. Otherwise, what news would you give to people? You say, I have a good news, but my good news is what? There's no subject. So when Jesus Christ was chosen by God, God has chosen Jesus Christ to be the subject of the good news, be the subject of what we talk about. So Jesus Christ became God's blessing to us. Ezekiel 18.23 says this, Have I any pleasure at all at the wicked that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his way and live? God's purpose is not that he sits back and he sees that humanity goes to hell and he laughs and he said, hey, too bad for you guys. That's not the God that we serve. God looks at humanity and the sin of humanity and what he's saying is that I love you, I want to save you, I do not want you to die. Now, some of you theologians out there asking the question, am I advocating for universal salvation? Meaning, did Christ die for everyone? Let me answer that question for you. Why not? Why can't I hope that Christ died for everyone? Why do I hope that there is this exclusive club that only a few chosen people are allowing it? Why not that Christ died for everyone? I let that stand. But I believe that when God says he's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance and to salvation. I want to really break this mindset of us and them, the chosen and the not chosen, the blessed and the cursed. It's not that at all. That's not the thought of God. That's not the will of God. And you can say, what about all those wicked people? I'm not judging anybody. I'm not in authority to judge anybody. It is God. It is up to God ultimately. For me, I hope that everyone will come to the knowledge of salvation. Otherwise, what is the good news? The good news is only for people that I think should receive the good news. What about those that I don't like? The ones that hurt me or the ones that make me feel icky or disgusted? It's not up to me. I'm not the authority on who should or who should not get the good news. The reason is God himself was rejected so that we can be received. That is the good news. The good news is Christ was rejected. When they say, Barabbas and crucify Christ, he was rejected. He was the one that God said no to so that God can say yes to us. Think about that. Jesus Christ, God says no to Jesus Christ so he can say yes to us today. How can we stand around and we say no to people? Jesus Christ was rejected for me, that I can be accepted through Jesus Christ. And that is the reason why you are chosen. So we are chosen because of Christ's rejection. And how much more is when Christ is accepted by God, we are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Timothy, let me give you the reason why you are accepted by God. Second Timothy 1, 9-10. Who has saved us, meaning Jesus Christ, who have saved us and called us into a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God has chosen you and I for a purpose, for a ministry. Three reasons. Number one, we have been chosen by God, by grace alone and not by our merit. Sola gratia, by grace alone. There's nothing that you have done that 
God looked at it and said, oh, good job, I'm going to choose you. None of that. God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Let me give you also this thought to think about. God has chosen you before Adam sinned against God. God has chosen Christ before Adam sinned. God is not reactionary. God is proactive. He already chosen Christ and all of those who are in Christ before Adam sinned. There's a term for that. It's called double predestination. And that concept is called supralapsarian. Predetermined. It is all God from the beginning. God has chosen you to bless, not to curse. God has chosen you, and by virtue of Him choosing you, some people are not chosen and therefore called rejected. And those rejected, the Bible called reprobate. The word reprobate means rejected. God has chosen you, and because He's chosen some, other people are reprobate. Let me give you an example. Paul talks about Jacob and Esau. He said, God, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, the word hated is a strong word, and I'm not going to change that word. But here's the same passage. He who do not hate his own life is not worthy of me. Same word. It means the rejection. There has to be a rejection for a admittance into God. Just like Jesus Christ. He has to be rejected so that we can be accepted. Now, when he was accepted by God through resurrection, we, through his acceptance, is brought into God's family. So when you and I are chosen by God, we are chosen by God for the ones who are rejected. We have been chosen for the sake of the rejected. Israel was chosen for what purpose? God says, you have been chosen, Abraham. You, I have chosen you to be a blessing to all nations. God has chosen a group of people, not that they can thump their chest and say, yeah, we've been chosen by God, hooray. But God say, I've chosen you to be a blessing. Remember, Melchizedek, and what did Abraham do? He offered blessing to him. He has chosen some to be a blessing to others. Now, back to the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob has been chosen by God. Jacob stole the blessing from Esau. But then, you remember what happened? He went and worked for his uncle, Laban, for 20 years. And then he got me sheep and goats and camel and all kinds of blessing and manservant and maidservant and sons and daughters and wives and concubines and all of these people. And then on his way home, he saw his brother Esau coming to meet him. And then what did he do? He said, my brother, I want to bless you. And Esau received that blessing from Jacob. You see, God has chosen us to be a blessing. Not so that we can say, hey, God chose me, he didn't choose you, too bad for you. That's not the purpose. God has chosen us to be a blessing because we have a purpose. There is a purpose for us in this life. Not that God has chosen us, we get to go to heaven and we look down at all these people that God didn't choose and we can laugh at them. That's not the God that I know. God has chosen you and I so that we serve his purpose. And his purpose is to, number one, reveal the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is that he died for our sin, he was buried, he rose again. All those who call upon him will be saved. That is the gospel. We have been chosen to reveal the gospel of God. Number two, we have been chosen to live a life of holiness and in love 
to show the glory of God. Eternal life is the happiness that exists in us. Now, look at each other. Look at each other. I want you to ask, is the person that you're looking at happy? The reason why you're not happy is you don't know God. The word happy is the same word as eternal life. And here in John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is happiness. Knowledge of God is happiness. If you know God, you can stand up here and give the testimony, I'm quitting, but I'm happy. Because you know God. You know that all those who put their trust in God will never be ashamed. That God will never take his hand off you. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Happiness is more than just the sum of possession that you have. Happiness is more than just everything is going right in my life. Happiness is something that is deeper and is internal. Happiness is the recognition of who God is. That's what happiness is. And that's what he wants you to have because it doesn't matter what you say. People look at you and they know whether or not you have eternal life. They see in your life, in your face, and in the way that you interact with each other. They will know, and that's your testimony. That's your witness. That's your purpose. That's why God has chosen you. Let us stand. Let's come together in prayer. Father, may your will be shown clearly in our lives, and may we become the reflection of this glory that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified, Lord God, in us. Allow us to come to the full realization of your choice that you have made in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and that we should be in love. God, I ask for everyone who is standing in this room that come to the fullness of this purpose that you have for us. And may they shine brightly, may they grow and have the full knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen.